Welcome to the Creative Process Podcast, a discussion with artists about what goes on behind the scenes when they're creating their work. I'm your host, Dave Hopper. On today's episode, we speak with fine art and documentary photographer Jennifer McClure. She uses the camera to ask and answer questions. She is interested in appearances and absences, short stories, poetry, and movies without happy endings. She has lectured at PhotoFusion and at Columbia Teachers College, and her work has been featured in publications such as Lens Scratch, Feature Shoot, The Photo Review, and Photo District News, among others. She was recommended by our last guest photographer, Samantha Jabal. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. So our last episode was Samantha Jabal, fine art photographer in Los Angeles, California, and she recommended that I talk to you next. She loves your work, so that must be nice to hear. It is, and especially from her. I think her work is so brave and so beautiful. It is. It's very brave, and I was, I was excited to talk to her about that. Yeah, she's a really special special kind of person. Sometimes you meet certain people, and they just radiate a certain something, and you don't know what it is exactly. But <laughs> Exactly. If you met her in person, you would, you know. Yeah, I hope there's something. Okay, so I looked on your bio, and it says you use the camera to ask and answer questions. And I guess I should tell everyone you're a fine art and documentary photographer in New York City. So where do your questions come from that you seek to answer with the camera? Um, It's all pretty narcissistic at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) But I think everything is. I think that's where a lot of great art comes from. But this isn't Um, um, narcissistic like selfies on Instagram. No, not that kind of stuff. I guess narcissistic might be the wrong word, but it is, it comes from, you know, a place within me, and it's a question about something that's happening in my life, usually. I mean, I think we all have things sometimes that wake us up in the middle of the night, you know, where your eyes pop open, and it's like your brain is picking up on a tape where it left off somewhere with all your anxieties. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't let you sleep peacefully. Yes. And maybe that's not everybody. Maybe some people sleep through the night just fine. (laughs) So what do you do when you get one of these ideas in the middle of the night? Um, Well, usually I try and go back to sleep as quickly as possible. (laughs) But the thing is, it's always, you know, it's that default thing that your mind will go back to. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like everybody, and maybe, again, maybe not everybody, I shouldn't speak, but maybe there's a certain section of the population that's more prone to worry than others. I am there so, with you. <laughs> are you a warrior? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I spend way uh, too much energy on that. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like a second job. Yeah, oh, yeah. It never but, goes away. You know, it never goes away, but I do know some people in life who don't worry, and that's inexplicable to me. I can't even... Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I. <laughs> it's It's beyond me. But, you know, for the warriors among us, you know how it is. Like sometimes when you're done with all your stuff and you have a quiet moment, your mind will go to that default prime worry. Everybody's got a prime worry of the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Like for some people, it could be a, a financial situation at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. could be something about your kid. It could be your health. It could be anything. Um, but for me, a lot of times it's an emotional state, Something isn't sitting right with me emotionally. And that's the default thing that will keep coming up over and over. And those are the questions that I have to answer. 
So is that where your project with your relationships called You Who Never Arrived came from? Yes. Can you tell Absolutely. us um, about that project, just a little introduction? Sure. I was, um, this was, I guess, a midlife crisis project because I was getting closer and closer to 40, and I was looking back at all of my past relationships. And the thing they had in common is that none of them lasted very long. Right. You know, I never got married, I never had kids, and I never had one of those, you know, several-year relationships that it felt like everyone else around me had had, had at that point. And so I was, that's what I was assessing on. What's wrong with me? Why haven't I done this? What's the matter? Right, and this was one of those emotional things instead of just a worry that's in the moment like a financial thing. This is just something that sticks with you for a long time. Yeah, it's a bigger-picture worry. So and, you know, a financial thing, you can fix it. You have A plus B equals C. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Theoretically. Yeah. There's a more finite <laughs> solution yeah. to that sort of a problem. Something you can, a tangible solution. Right. You can see so the we, solution. You can write it down and see it instead of yes. just trying to take this indeterminate feeling and turn it into something. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I, I just couldn't figure it out, you know, and I just kept, it was the same questions and the same answers, and it wasn't acceptable, and it wasn't enough, and it wasn't fixing anything, you know? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you try and think, what's the next action I need to take? Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't come up with anything because I couldn't see the pattern. Yeah, tangible action makes you feel better once you accomplish it. It's something to say, yeah. okay, I've done this, I can check this off, and a little bit of stress is gone. Exactly. Exactly. But that wasn't clear here with this sort of thing, which I guess is why some people get so frustrated with therapy as well. <laughs> you know, like week after week, like what action am I taking? Yeah. <laughs> Frustrating. Yeah. So, so I, where, where did the camera uh, come into this? Well, I, there's a lot of, there are quite a few photographers I admire who do use the camera to explore emotional questions. Mm-hmm. And that's the work that I keep going back to over and over and over again. You can see the story in there and you can feel the weight of that. And so I knew that if other people had done it, then maybe there was a way that I could do it. I think you had your friends help you out on this? I had some friends help, yeah. What I decided to do was to go through the past relationships that I did have. And look at the specific guy, look at the situation, and we recreated the breakup, like why it went wrong, why it fell apart. And the inspiration for this story came from a Raymond Carver short story. Uh, it's called Gazebo, and it's about a couple that locks themselves in a hotel room with a bottle of cheap booze <laughs> to discuss the breakup of their marriage. It sounds like something that's from the outside looking in would be very different than putting yourself in there. Which one? The story? Yeah, if you're just reading that story without the implement being yourself to go do the project, it would come out differently than if you're reading and think, wow, this really speaks to me and I should go make something like this. Well, I I did read it and think I should go, like this has a lot to do with my life. I don't yeah. know how I made that leap, but I did. <laughs> so <laughs> this was, you know, I think it was a 10-year marriage that was falling apart. But, but I was like, man, the hotel room. 
So you staged all these in different hotel rooms. Yes, because, and for me, it was a different sort of symbolism. You know, I didn't want to do it at people's apartments because they were, there'd be too many personal artifacts around. So you wanted more you of know? a static environment that you could build. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't want it to look lived in. I wanted it to look like you were just visiting because that's how I felt in my relationships. I didn't give them enough time to feel lived in. Yeah, it was sort of keeping them on the periphery. Yeah, as soon as it started to get a little too real, then I would, you know, I'd take off. So, so I did... wanted them to... Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was saying, how did you explain this to the male models or friends that you had in your pictures? Did you explain almost like a screenplay, like this is what we're going for, almost like Pretty a story? Much. I would say this is the guy, this is the situation... This is how it went down. This is who you are. This is your part here. And, uh, I mean, looking back in hindsight, it's pretty incredible that anybody agrees to do this. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I should go back and thank everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a, there's definitely a moment when you're not in the moment anymore where you look back and you say that. But when you're doing it, it's just something that has to come out and you don't really think about that till after. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah, but it definitely had to come out. But what would happen that was so fascinating to me is that while we were in there, like, we would start talking to each other as if we were these characters, mm -hmm. as if we were playing out a scene in a movie. And that was pretty mind-blowing to me. Did you not expect that? I mean, we didn't know, and we didn't say we were going to do it. It would just happen, you know? And it didn't happen with everybody, but it happened quite often. So like they there really... There was real sort of acting involved. Like, they got into it. So, yeah, and they the really crazy... took to the characters. They did. It was. I was impressed. I'm really impressed with everybody who participated. And the weird part is, like, even just talking through it with them you know, as well as being in the moment, that I got a whole different perspective on what was going on in that guy's head, <laughs> you know, and the actual relationships that I had. Because I never really, you know, I mean, I was that jerk who would break up with somebody and just say, all right, this isn't working for me, it's over. There's no room for compromise or talking it out or seeing if we could work on anything, which isn't kind, you know, and I'm not proud of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it also happened to me, too. It's not like I did all the breaking up. Right. But just to be able to to talk it through and hear the other person's perspective, even if it wasn't the actual person, was extremely educational. And did that influence the final images that came out of it? It definitely did. Definitely. There was a moment where I was frustrated with a lot of the images that I was getting because I didn't realize this until towards the end, but I was repeating myself some with the framing of where I was putting myself in the image, and I was always putting myself in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a conscious thing. I didn't walk in there and say, this is how I want to shoot it, but that was how it would come out. And I realized at the end, through the process of the shooting and through how the shots were coming out, I realized that was the real problem with the relationship is that I was putting myself in the middle all the time. Interesting. 
Yeah, and I thought I was going to do this project and, and see a pattern in the men that I was dating. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. What's wrong with all these guys? Right. And then to see that it was... I mean, to anybody else, it's probably completely obvious, but really <laughs> not what I was expecting. <laughs> and in hindsight, it's just so simple. But I had to go through this whole thing to get there. So I wanted to talk about the cinematic look of the images. And yeah. how how did that come about? Where did the inspiration for that come from? Definitely movies. A lot of movies. Are you a big movie watcher? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these days it's a lot more inspiration from, uh, I guess this happens to a lot of people, but, you know, TV series on Netflix, <laughs> yeah. some of the better made ones, like, you know, I look at lighting all the time and I study the lighting, but at that time it was, uh, I like a lot of dark, moody lighting. Yeah. So there was like a lot, there was a lot of Wong Kar Wai, um, David Lynch. I looked at Scorsese. I like that gritty kind of lighting. Mm -hmm. And at one point, what I did was I, um, what is that movie? Lost in Translation. Yeah, with Bill Murray and Scarlett that Johansson. Yep. Yeah, and I think Sofia Coppola directed. Uh, it's on, is that right? I, I would venture to say yes, but I can't answer 100%. But I'm, it sounds right to me. I think so. But I was reading about how they lit a lot of that movie and what they did for lighting that one. You know, I did want all of these shots to tell stories. I wanted them to look like film stills. Mm -hmm. I mean, not intentionally, but that's what I gravitate towards. Right. And then after I saw that I was doing it, then it is like, it's just, you can't help how you light. It's, it's what if it, it's, you can't really think about it too much. It just, it's what hits your gut. So she used, or her lighting guy, or person, lighting person, um, <laughs> sorry, used these Chinese lanterns, the paper lanterns that go over the continuous light source. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So when I first started shooting this project, that's what I used. And they're really cheap, and you can get them at a hardware store and, you know... Do you have to watch they don't touch the lights, I would assume? You definitely do. I found <laughs> that out the hard way. <laughs> I'm just thinking, because like, like, those lights get really hot in not very long time. They do. Yeah, you've got to be careful with those. And eventually I stopped using those because they were such a pain. <laughs> and also it's really hard to not get them in the shot. Yeah. yeah and what? they're not super strong. So, you, you know, and I wanted more clarity in the shots. But I give them a lot of credit in the beginning for establishing the lighting mood. Right. And thereafter, that is what I tried to recreate, however I could. So how did you do the lighting? Was it before the guy that's in the shot showed up? Would you work on it beforehand? Or I would do it while they were there, while we were talking. Because, you know, we always talk for a little while first. Right. And that's always the good time to get everything set while they're building a yeah. rapport with whoever you're shooting with. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do for the post-processing for these? How much post-processing do you do? I'm terrible at that, and I try <laughs> to do as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing that more and more. <laughs> yeah, it's just not my thing. I'd rather get it all beforehand if I can. Yeah. You know, I'll do some contrast work, but that's about it. 
and I'll, I'm really kind of a, I get a little crazy about clutter in the pictures, <laughs> but I, I don't, I'm not good enough at Photoshop to take things out. So I might just crop a little, a little if need be. Yeah. But I do try to get it all ahead of time. It's just clearer for me in my mind that way. So how many photos do you take for one of these when you're in a hotel room? So many. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually, too. I mean, and there's so many shots, so many hotel shoots that didn't even make it in this series. Um, but, you know, I'll shoot sometimes. It depends on the timing. But usually I would shoot as soon as I got there. And then they would come over. We'd shoot. And I always stay the night because I actually really adore hotel rooms. I love them. I have a thing for and hotel rooms, would, too. Yeah, I think they're amazing. Um, and then I would shoot in the morning. So you got your money's worth, that's for sure. I definitely got my <laughs> money's worth. And, you know, you can do... It's harder with another person because they get tired. Right. You know, if it's just me, I can shoot, like, 500 frames, no problem. Yeah, when you have to take someone else's time and into consideration, it changes it a bit. Yeah, and their emotional stamina. I mean, for me, it's important, and so I'll do it until I'm well past tired. Right, because it so, means so much to you. It keeps you going. Yeah. yeah, and plus, too, there's sometimes where once you get going and you work through all of your tricks that you have in front of the camera, like you've got to exhaust yourself right? so that you'll stop trying to play a character, and then you can get a really good shot. Yeah, you have to get over that, the stuff you normally do. You do. And, you know, there's always a point in the beginning where you're trying to look your best because you're worried about who's going to see this and your double chin and mm -hmm. the circles under your eyes. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh, just screw it. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and those are the ones you usually ended up picking, right? Usually, yeah. Every once in a while, you get something at the beginning. Every once in a while, it's like one of the first 10 shots, which is crazy. But otherwise, it's at the end. <laughs> like, what was I doing the whole rest of that time? I could have been done already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so you're sitting there with this whole body of work, including shoots that didn't make it. And how do you cull them down to what you have on your website or just what you'll show in a gallery or what you'll show to a photo editor or something like that? Um, with a lot of help from friends. So you have like a critique process? Yes. And with this particular project, I mean, it's different people for different projects. Because mm -hmm. the projects aren't, you know, they aren't the same kind of work. Right. Different kind of work for all the projects. And um, some work is more to other people's liking than others. So you, you kind of figure out who's best with which work. And for this particular work, I had a couple of friends who were helping me throughout the process. And we would get together regularly and meet. And it was a process because sometimes the one you pick in the beginning from a certain shoot is not the one you end up with because as the work evolves, you go back and see the one that you actually took out fits better in the series as a whole. And that's the, but thing, that's the thing about putting a body of work together and some shots you really love just don't fit in there. And you have to put in one that maybe you don't like as much, but it helps tell the whole story. That's exactly how it is. And it's very tough. <laughs> and the thing is, like, sometimes you don't know what the story is as you're shooting. So the right. ones you pick in the beginning when you're still unsure of what the story is aren't actually what it's about at the end. Yeah, they just look good or you say, oh, I nailed this. This is perfect. And Yes. 
I find I always look at the technical ones I got right first, just because to make sure I did something right. And then afterwards, that's exactly you, how you it can is. look at yeah. the mistakes and be like, oh, well. This Usually one's it's actually one of the good. mistakes that I took out. I'm like, actually, that one's a lot more interesting. So they go through all these photos with you. Is it tough to hear critiques sometimes? Um, not from them so much, but when I would take this work to portfolio reviews, it was hard. <laughs> I talked to Samantha about portfolio reviews, something I, I haven't done yet. But yeah, she oh. had an interesting take on the experience. <laughs> Well, the thing about those, if you're showing landscapes or still lifes or, you know, even work about other people, mm -hmm. it's much easier than right. if you're showing yourself. Right. It takes an extra layer on it. Yeah. Every critique of the photos feels like somebody's sticking a little knife in your forehead <laughs> or your heart. <laughs> and they keep doing it. And they keep doing it. But there were a couple of portfolio reviews with the hotel series, especially where people would start talking and they're like, and the woman and the photos. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> you realize I'm sitting right here. <laughs> they didn't know they were self-portraits. Wow. Which I guess is a good sign that I kind of did disappear. Oh, yeah. But still, I'm like, whoa, 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 stop talking right now before you say something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be scarred for life. Exactly. <laughs> I guess it's a different process if you're showing your work in a like a gallery or something. How do you do you change which pictures you choose from like an online portfolio or is it mostly the same? Well, I've never had a solo show. So it's just been like a couple pictures in a show? Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is that you know, I've had some people tell me that this work functions as a whole, but it's hard to pull one out. Right. And show it. But, you know, I've gotten, I've shown more from the other body work that I did later than I have from this series. And I don't know why. I just didn't send this one out as much. I didn't submit it to as many things. So what was the other body of work you submitted more of? Um, Laws of Silence. Do you want to tell us a little about that one? Yeah. So this one's a little different. Um, it still is a lot of self-portraits, but it's not so much me and my face mm -hmm. in there. Because I felt like a lot of times that's what people were commenting on when I showed them this series, was that they would end up talking about me, they would end up giving me, you know, relationship advice or therapy <laughs> advice. And I didn't know whether that was because they weren't interested in the photos or they were more interested in doing it. I didn't know. But it right. was enough of a thing that I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to show so much of myself this time around. You want to change the conversation a little bit. Change the conversation. Have it be more about the photographs than it is about me. What's the scope of the project for those that are listening? So this project is a continuation. I mean, it's all a continuation right. of the last one. So the last one, what I learned is that the reason I wasn't succeeding so much at my relationships is because I was making them all about me. I didn't really know how to have a partnership, mm -hmm. or how to really go about this. And so then, you know, I did the next thing you do when you realize something like that, and I started going to therapy. And then I started to really look back and look at a lot of family stuff and sort of figure out why I am the way that I am and how my past has kind of shaped me and really trying to figure out if this is something I even wanted, you know, because mm -hmm. I felt pressure my whole life that I need to get married, have kids. This is what you do. You get a desk job, mm -hmm. you get health insurance, you join a church and that's what you do. And that's your life. And then you plan for retirement and that's it. Right. That's can, your life. It can feel a little I, uh, claustrophobic sometimes. 
Yeah, and I never gravitated towards that. And I really started to look at why that was and why I felt a little less than because I never did. So it was a way for me to get right with all that. And stop comparing yourself to those who have lived that life a little bit? Just letting go of that. You know, these ideas get in your head so subtly and so deeply, just through little comments and, you know. Well, I think a lot of, even a lot of our art and media is geared towards that. Well, yeah, all of it. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you barely, you know, rom-coms are all about people getting together at the end, you know? Advertising, that's what it's all about. Yeah, the people that are married have more money to buy their products. (laughs) Yes. Well, they're just better, right? (laughs) (laughs) So this goes along with your singles project, I would assume, too, right? It does, yeah. So this is you want to document single people. Yes. Is this sort of a continuation of that, or is this something different? It's Yeah, definitely a continuation. So I got to the end of this series, which was very educational, um, and I learned a lot about myself and my family, and we talked about a lot, and we got a lot of stuff out in the open, and you know, I feel like it was really helpful for everybody involved, mm-hmm. even if nobody wanted to do it. And then I got to this point where I'm realizing, okay, so I'm single. This might be how it is, you know, and realizing, am I good with that? Am I not good with that? How am I with that? And then doing a lot of reading and research and realizing that now there are more single people than married people in this country. And And that there are a lot of countries in the world where that's the case, you know, and it doesn't have to, there's still, it's really complex and I'm still in the middle of this one. So forgive me if I'm a little vague as I'm. (laughs) That's okay talking about it because I haven't reached a conclusion. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I will. But there's so many different points of view out there, and that's what I love about it. You know, there's some people who are adamantly single, and they're like, I am not looking to settle down with anybody. I've been married. I don't need to do that again. I'm good. I'm happy. And there are, you know, young people who are like, I don't need anybody else to complete me. I'm good. And there are other people who are a little sad about it and people who are looking. And there's just such a wide range. And it's really educational for me. You know, it's that thing where the camera gives you a license to ask questions you normally wouldn't be able to. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so to have people talk to me about like things that they're afraid of and things that they're worried about, you know, and then I get to talk about it. And it's huge because once you start talking about these things, they're not as scary and they're not as big as you make them out to be. And other people are going through them, too. Yeah. And you realize, oh, this is natural. This is something everybody feels, this feeling that I'm not good enough or that this happened and I'm scarred for life. Like, you can kind of set all that to the side. You're like, we're all bringing this stuff to the table. It's fine. It's not like you're going to date somebody. And they come to you with a clean slate, and they're perfect, (laughs) and they know how to do this. They got this. They're ready to go. Like, we're all just doing the best that we can. Only in rom-coms does that happen. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How do you know when a project is over? That's a good question. It's always a tough line to draw. It's a tough line to draw, but somehow you, you really know it when you know it. You know, with the last project, with Laws of Silence, I thought I was done. And I was showing it to people, and they were like, it's still missing something. It's missing, it's like you have two stories going on here. And I was working with somebody who was really incredibly generous with her time, a photo editor. And uh, 
we talked about it all, and she was like, you need to go back and shoot this and this and this and make those connections visually that aren't happening. And so I had a hit list at that point. I've, I worked on this one for two and a half years, three years. So it wasn't something that was there that you need to rediscover. It was something you had to do extra. I had to do some extra, yeah, because, you know, in my mind, it all made perfect sense. <laughs> But you do have to remember sometimes there is an audience. And then when I did add these pieces, I felt complete. And I'm like, this is it. These absolutely are the connect. It was mostly the text pieces. And it was like, these matter. These are important. These explain a lot. Um, and then it all made sense to me. And then I knew that it was done, without a doubt. And do you have ideas, even when you're working on a project for the next one or something you want to do next? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and at some point... You know, you do kind of want to hurry up and finish one so you can get to the next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next one that hasn't had any failure associated with it yet is always grass is greener on the other side. Exactly. It's all perfect and shiny in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I like there's a graph of um, what a project, the life of a project, and it starts way up at the top and constantly goes down until almost the I very end. I love that one. No, there's I, a little spike, yeah, yeah, where it's like, this is awful, this is awful. Hey, wait a minute, I got something here. No, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. and there's that little bump back at the end. Okay, it's okay. That's one of my favorite graphics of all time. I can't <laughs> believe you mentioned that. It's exactly how it goes. Oh, it's perfect. Happens every time. It does, and sometimes you need some help from someone else to breathe some new life into it, just because you stare at your stuff for too long. <laughs> you become attached to it. And then you just don't care about it anymore. You're like, oh, screw it. This is garbage. It's all garbage. Why did I try? <laughs> I'm going to move on to this next one. This one will be the one. Exactly. This is the one. This is the one. This is a good learning exercise, but I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for this conversation. This has been wonderful. Well, thank you. So I've... I can't believe we're already done. It flew by. Thank I know. It was so a much. quick 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more question. Uh, I'm looking for a recommendation on who I should talk to next. Which artist do you want to hear about their creative process? Um, I really love the work of Krista Blackwood. What draws you to her work? uh, Well, it's beautiful. First of all, formally it's beautiful. And she combines old processes with new digital techniques. And it's such a beautiful blending of both. But it also operates on a higher conceptual level. Exactly. And I don't always understand it entirely, but I love it. <laughs> well, it challenges you. <laughs> it challenges me, but I can't stop thinking about it. Like, it stays with me. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of creative questions to ask her. So that's a great recommendation. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm dying to hear her answers. <laughs> me too. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. That was Jennifer McClure, fine art and documentary photographer. Thank you for listening to the Creative Process Podcast. I'm Dave Hopper. This has been a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. The music is Big Screen by Silent Partner. Join me next time as I talk to Jennifer's recommendation, photographer Krista Blackwood. Mm-hmm.